Hey, hey. Happy for Chip. Happy for Chip. All of all of Motown. Anybody who roots for Detroit and is stuck with Detroit. That's that was that was what was one of the cooler moments. I mean, I did have the Bucks plus six and a half, but you know, it was a nice, nice way to uh, bring me back down. Watching Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan native, just soak up that whole scene. That was that was pretty cool. So you went six and zero oh during the wild card round. You were texting me before today's show, and zero oh and four this last weekend. I got absolutely, and this is those are just my picks against the spread. Not that the other ones did that much better, but at least salvaged a little bit of it with some other props and. Uh, I've been getting into into the touchdown bets, so those were those were good to me. But um, yardage total bets, I feel like those the touchdown bet obviously pays a little bit more because it's usually over under this yardage total for your for double your money or lose your money. But, yeah, the only thing that spared me was like Mike. I did. I've been doing a lot of the uh, like parlays, but you lower the you lower the amount of yards, the amount of catches, so it's more like minus one seventy. But then you combine two of them. So I did like Mike Evans, five catches, at least five catches, at least 60 yards. And I mean, he hit that in, you know, a half maybe or two and a half quarters, somewhere in somewhere in the third quarter. But but yeah, Trey, as you as you texted me back, what goes up? You said somewhat what goes up must come down, something like that. Yeah, very, very true, especially in the gambling world. Oh, and the gambling world, it's if it goes up, it will eventually come back down and you will probably end up in the negative before it's all said and done. Otherwise, or, gambling as a business wouldn't exist. These entities wouldn't take bets if they were losing to everybody. And even most of the time, it's like even if you break even, you're still losing because if you're betting, you know, regular games, it's all minus one ten. Yep. So your your ten your tens getting you nine and all that stuff, you know. Yeah, fifty. You have to win fifty two point eight percent of the time to actually finish even, I believe. So fifty three percent makes you a small profit, which is really no profit with the peanuts that I'm uh, throwing wagers down with. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I wager on is going against BK's picks, and we've done it all season long. This football year, we've done it every year that we've had a show together. And I beat him so badly this year that we reset things. And he basically waved the white flag the first time around to where he's going to have to go dressed head to toe. Next year's Texas OU game sit in the OU section. So we reset things for the playoffs. Or it might have been like week 17 on. And the stakes this time are getting your chest waxed. And and I- and, and the OU bet? And the OU bet. Well, the OU bet was already settled. So, oh, okay. I didn't know if it was like a. This is new stakes. Whoever loses is going to have to get their chest waxed on the midday show. (laughs) And I, he jumped out to a lead through one week, but then I got it back and then some. And this last week, I was up by four games. So if I even broke even, then it would have been over with because there's only three games left. Well. I went 4-0 and he went 0-4. So needless to say, BK is going to be getting his chest waxed on a future midday episode. He admitted to me today, and this, boy, this can be an interesting sidebar to today's two-hour conversation, Jeff, that he whack, or he shaves his chest, I guess. He had received some negative feedback from a couple of the uh, young ladies that he was uh, hooking up with during his college days. And they're like, dude, Whatever squirrely little hair thing is going on with your chest right now, you need to get rid of that. It's a bad look. 
And so since college, he's been shaving his chest. So he's like, I'm actually going to have to grow my chest hair out for a couple of months before we can do the waxing just to make sure that it hurts. So the the feedback from the nice, respectable ladies that that BK is uh, having relations with was that you need to you need if you're going to have it, it needs to look awesome or you need to not have it at all. Was essentially yeah, the look, feedback. The, the I mean the heifers that he's probably bringing home in college based on his reputation. It's not like they're they're setting any high bars here. So for them to give that sort of criticism in return. BK doesn't even listen to his lovely mother, Shoshana Kellner, who is an awesome person and uh, unfortunately for her, uh, raised one Brad Kellner. He doesn't even listen to his own mother. That's like the one piece of advice he's ever listened to from the opposite sex because it happened consecutively in a matter of like a week or less. And so he's like, I guess I have to shave my chest for the rest of my life. Uh, And hey, why not uh, put it as stakes for for a friendly wager with Trey and turn it into... Turn it into some good content. Turn it into a bit. Uh, yeah. How far do you go on the ma- whole manscaping bit? Like how far? Like what do I do basically? Yeah. What do you do? I mean, I, I don't really have a lot of hair, honestly. Like, Oh, is that right? I, You're like a person. This is kind of embarrassing to admit. Like I barely even have to shave my face. Like what I have now is that's about a day and a half. And then it gets like the sides just get like patchy. Yeah. Like if I let it grow out, it would just be like, it wouldn't look like full. And I don't even get like the good goatee that you get. It just ends up looking like, dude, just, just shave that off. Like it's basically the feedback that I end up getting whenever I go about a week without shaving. Hold on to that as long as you can, because shaving becomes a giant pain. The beard that I'm usually growing is sheer laziness. Cause I don't want to have to do this every day. And so yeah. thankfully it's over time. It's, come to look a little bit better. Although I have to be careful now. My mustache comes in pretty dark. And so if my mustache is coming in at the same time as my chin and, and jawline and the undercarriage of my face, that hair, I've got a pretty gnarly looking mustache until the uh, the connecting bars really start to become more visible. So I have to keep the mustache hair a little bit lower because otherwise I just look like an even bigger trash ball than I do regularly. I I think the mustache is on certain guys, just the mustache can look really good. I'm not in that group. I've no. never seen you with, with just the stash, but sounds like you, you haven't gotten good response from it. No. And I think the guys that I, I do not look good with just a mustache, the guys who look good with a mustache, I think tend to be guys who have a really thin upper lip. Hmm. So it is, it's like a short guy who drives a pickup truck, right? Like it's making up for the lack of upper lip that you have to be able to grow a mustache out. Uh, yeah, my, my my grandpa used to have one back in the day, but I mean, that was kind of this. I think that was just kind of the style back then. Well, yeah, it's generations. There's there's definitely a generational thing there for sure. And there's, uh, I think there's a, a, a uh, an ethnic element to whether or not you can pull off the mustache too. Like, you know, some... Some dude living in Lake Whitney, north of Waco, is growing out a wheezy mustache. It looks like the trailer park that he comes from. Like, that's just going to be a bad look. Versus some of my Armenian relatives who, yeah, unfortunately for them, they've got like full on uh, sweaters with the uh, the hair that's in on their uh, upper torso. But with that comes the ability to, to grow one of those really beautiful, thick, push broom looking mustache like the Mario Brothers popularized over the years. See that that does that does check out because that is my Portuguese grandpa. Mm. So he's he's got a uh, you know 
the dark, a little bit darker, darker complexion and uh, the, the full blown like stash with a little kind of shaggier hair back then. I was like, Hey, that was, that was a sharp look. Like even though, I mean, he's not around anymore, but even, even if you rock that now, I still would have thought, you know, that was, it would have been a good look in his, in his later years. My dad tried it. No, no good. No, no dice. And then that's why I've seen those pictures. And I just, I don't even try Trey and just like shave the face once, once a day, every other day, whatever it is, depending on how many times I'm going to be on TV at the station and, and just, and just call it at that. And then in terms of to bring it back to BK and the negative, uh, negative feedback towards the chest hair, I feel like I would have, I would get similar feedback on that, but I don't do any, I don't do anything about it. I mean, I'm married now. So, so there's only one person that's, that's allowed to tell me what to do with, uh, with my chest hair and she doesn't really give a crap. So like, I eh, just leave it. Well, I'm not going to necessarily put you on the spot with this, but even as a married guy, like I still make sure to manicure things downstairs. Right. And. Oh, Sure. I don't know about you, but I've got uh, two separate uh, trimmers, if you will, for the face and for downstairs, which is how I've done it for pretty much my entire life where I've had to take care of both things. But unfortunately, I do have a bad story for a friend of mine when I had moved to Oregon and uh, a friend came to visit the first couple of months that I lived there, which is nice because I didn't really know anybody. But like at one point after he'd gotten there, he's like, "Hey, I just uh, hope you don't mind. I just used your beard trimmer to uh, to clean up my uh, my beard or whatever." And I was like, "Which oh. one did you use?" Oh, use this one. I'm like, "Oh, you just used the one that I I used to trim my pubes." So I, like, I, I sorry, sorry, not sorry. You should have checked first. You always got to check when you're talking about somebody's uh, grooming supplies as to whether it's what it is that you think you're looking for or what it is you think you're grabbing. I thought that story was going the other way around where he used his, where he trimmed his pubes with my beard trimmer. Yeah. That would have been much worse for me. This one turned out yeah. really well for me because it gave me a great story that I don't have to be embarrassed about sharing. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely makes him look a lot worse. Yeah. Uh, so we got three of four good playoff games, this NFL weekend, which is a reversal of the wild card round where it seems like it was mostly blowouts with the exception of one or two. And uh, perhaps the best game of the weekend was the final game of the weekend. That being chiefs at bills, a lot of offense first half of this game. And then the defense is really buckled down after that. Jeff, if you just look at time of possession and number of plays run, you would assume that Buffalo dominated the game. But if you look at average yards per play, it tells a very different story. And, of course, the final score lets you know that, once again, Pat Mahomes has the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC championship game for a sixth consecutive year, all six of those years, the six seasons that he started at quarterback in KC. I think this game just came down to the chunk plays. Because, Trey, you mentioned, I guess they were out, you would call it, out-possessed. You know, they had, what, 30-something more plays to your point than, than Kansas city did Buffalo did, but they didn't, I don't know if they had a single play over like 25 or 30 yards. I mean, they tried to take a couple of those deep shots. The one where I think it was Sherfield that almost caught it. He got up trying to claim like he caught it, but, but didn't. And then the one that digs, I mean, that's the one man I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The amount of complaining and the amount of wide receiver diva 
that he does that he does and he puts on over the years. And I know he's a great guy. I've seen all the fun videos with fans. I'm sure he's an awesome dude. I'm sorry, you can't act the way he's act at times over the years and not make that catch. You have to make that catch. If you're gonna be wide receiver diva, like Mr. I want the ball, you're not throwing it to me enough, fit on the sideline, gotta make that catch. To me, that was the game right there. I mean, I know you can't chalk it up to one play. But that would have been, and Mahomes still would have had a chance. Either way, if Bass makes the field goal, if Diggs makes that catch, it goes for a touchdown, they end up settling for a field goal and make said field goal, or they go down and score a touchdown, whatever ends up happening. If Buffalo ties it or takes the lead, Diggs makes the catch, whatever, there was still a chance, and it was still Mahomes on, on that other sideline. Um, and even I, I even said I was watching the game with my wife, and I said to her when they went to kick the field goal, I, I looked at her and I go, this game's over. And she goes, he hasn't even kicked the field goal. It doesn't matter. I mean, you're going to give the ball back to Mahomes the way that offense had been playing with, what, a minute 40, minute 50 left on the clock? I mean, come on. And Butker? And I guess that was probably just a total shank from Bass. I don't know what the wind was doing, but there was a, the wind was calm enough to where it was a makeable proposition to, uh, you know, have, have Butker go down and, and kick that field goal there. But to bring it back to the Bills, you just – you just feel bad. I know Josh Allen's had his turnover issues, but I just feel bad for Josh Allen at a certain point. Cause I don't really know what else the guy needs to do. I know their defense was banged up, but they could have made a couple more plays. They could have brought Mahomes to the ground a couple more times, gotten a few more stops. And yeah, you can say Allen could have gone down and um, scored on that drive, but like guys just at a certain point in these games need to just play a little bit better around him. And he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't. All the things that he's been criticized for didn't happen in that game. He played a brilliant game. Used his legs. Um, I mean, I know he almost fumbled on that one where he was his knee was really close to going down, and that was an unbelievable play by Kincaid to to you know get the ball back to whichever whoever the lineman was that, that jumped on it. Yeah. But man, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, what what have we talked about or the last what couple weeks with Mahomes? Definitely last week where. We said all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Trey, they get in the playoffs. The entire story all year long is that no one can catch a pass for Mahomes. Marquez Valdez Scantling had the one that he dropped uh, against the Eagles in that game. They probably would have won him the game. And he's been taking crap all year long. And <laughs> and then what happens? MVS makes a couple unbelievable catches. Uh, I'm trying to even think if there was a single drop. There was a catchable pass that Watson could have had. I think down in like some sort of corner route or out route on the 10 yard line. That was the only pass I saw that maybe could have been caught. And that's look, Mahomes deserves all the credit, but that's, that's the chief's pedigree coming through right there is those guys made the plays around Mahomes that the guys around Allen did not make for him. And it's, it's indisputable. Now this is the best chief's defense of the Mahomes era. You were the first person that I heard last week talk about how Mahomes receivers were not dropping passes in the wild card round. And so that thought was at the forefront of my head as I was watching yesterday's game. It was a great observation. And you're right. That continued. I guess the closest thing you have to a drop, even though this doesn't count, this is on the ball carrier, is Artiman fumbling the ball out of the back of the end zone. That's not a Mahomes thing. I mean, the, <laughs> that had... I forget if it was a handoff or a completion. That had been completed. It was in his hands, and he had possession. It was just a a bang-bang moment where the ball comes out just before, and it was a nice defensive play, too, just before he is technically down, and it breathes a little bit more life into the Bills' 
uh, being able to come out back in that game, which they ultimately did not do so. But it, you're right, man. There, there are certain individuals and certain teams this time of year that you come to expect to come through when they need to. And it's no doubt at this point that if you are betting against Pat Mahomes, regardless of when he's playing in the playoffs, but certainly in the first couple of rounds, then uh, it's probably a pretty bad bet by you. Yeah, yeah, and it was by me. It definitely was. As I dropped the L back on my oh, I thought you were raising your hand to uh, you're raising your oh, hand. no, I was drop I was dropping a fat L on my head because I was the idiot that that figuratively and literally bet against Patrick Mahomes in that situation. I'll tell you though, this was one of those weird years where it was justifiable. Like the Bills felt like they were starting to play really good football at the right time. The game being in Buffalo, this being Pat Mahomes' first. A game on the road. Look, he's ridiculous as an underdog throughout his career. He's now nine one and one. I think eight and three overall in terms of as an underdog winning eight of those games. But this seemed like the ripe conditions to keep the Chiefs out of that AFC Championship game at least for this year, just because because some of the uh, the seemingly obvious flaws that exist on that football team, especially on offense. But as you said, even with the injuries that they suffered yesterday. That is still a salty group who tightened down when they absolutely had to. I think Stephon Diggs ends up playing someplace else next year. You've got the diva wide receiver matrix. It's like the hot girl matrix, right? The uh, the yeah. hot crazy matrix. Mm-hmm. Where it's like diva talent. Diva talent right here. Where's the talent and where's the diva? Because right now, the diva is outweighing the talent for Stephon Diggs. The guy hasn't had a hundred yard game since going back to October. And it's just like every week it's something new with this guy. And there are times where it seems pretty obvious to people that he's taking shots as his own teammates. His teammates continue to have his back ad nauseum. But at some point it's like, dude, you're like what you provide on the field is not near enough for the off field distraction that we are constantly having to answer for. A hundred percent. I mean, his name's been in headlines like that every single season that he's been in Buffalo and look, we don't know the behind the scenes of it. We don't live in Buffalo. That's not our local market by any means. So what we're just, at least me personally, I'm just consuming what you know is said on national media and the headlines there and the interviews that come out um, in the national media with that. But it seems like Josh Allen is a pretty good teammate to play with. I'm not claiming the guy's perfect by any means, but even, I mean, I flipped it over to SVP on ESPN to watch watch the post game, and they took Allen's the first four minutes of Allen's post game live. And not that I was expecting him to maybe be snippy or, you know, take shots or anything like that. But I mean, that is the last thing that I would want to do in that situation is go up to that podium after losing to that quarterback and that team, that coach again, and answer questions like that. So, yeah, I I, I agree with you about the, the uh, talent, talent to wide receiver diva matrix with digs. It's, it's just getting to the point where it's got to be really old in Buffalo at this point. And he's a super talented receiver. Like I said, I love all the feel good stories that come out of it, that, that come out of there about him. He seems like a really awesome guy. I love the videos and he plays catch with the fan and he seems to be really involved in the community. All that stuff's great, but I'm sorry, man, you are paid to make that catch at the end of that game. Make the catch. Like that was his moment. He's complaining about not getting the ball all these different things over the years. You had the chance right there. You had the moment to, and again, Mahomes could have come back and scored, but you had the chance to have your moment. And now, I mean, what's the, what is this? Three, four years of Stefan Diggs in Buffalo. Like what's the, 
like what what do we look back on? Oh, a couple thousand yard seasons and made had had some good moments, but I mean, the only issue with moving on is then you're then that's not really helping you help Josh Allen more, which I think was the biggest takeaway again of this is Josh Allen for the most part took care of the ball again. Like, how do you sit down as Buffalo this morning? Whenever the lot the sting starts to wear off and you look at the big picture and go, how do we make this team better next year? <laughs> I mean, stay healthier on defense. That's certainly what it helped. They were just really beat up at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, Dalton Kincaid, that was a great draft pick. Do you go out and try to get a number one receiver in the draft? It seems like a really receiver heavy draft. I, I don't, I, I don't honestly don't know what the answer is. There was a mock draft. I want to say it came out a month or so ago that had one of the Texas receivers going to Buffalo. And I think it was A.D. Mitchell may have been Xavier worthy, but yeah, I think at this point you figure it out and maybe you find a guy in free agency or maybe you do try and draft to get that next number one wide out. But with Shakir's emergence, Gabe Davis, when he's healthy, he can obviously be really, really, uh, really productive for you. And then Dalton Kincaid, really became a solid player for you at the end of the season. There's a lot to build on there. Dawson Knox is still a part of things too as well. And you have a pretty good rushing attack too, by the way. I know James Cook didn't do a whole lot last night. He was one of the better running backs in the NFL this year. So I think if you're the Bills, you look at that and say, look, this guy may have some good football left. It's got to be someplace else though. Like this, it, it turns pretty annoying to uh, too obnoxious to constantly have to answer questions about Trayvon Diggs, so you move on. Excuse me, Stefan Diggs. So you move on, and he can find another team, and maybe that helps to rejuvenate him. Because, by the way, he wore his welcome out in Minnesota, too. His first year in Buffalo was relatively quiet. It was him going out there, and I think it may have been his best season as a pro. But after that season, when they didn't win at all, and he felt like he didn't get the football enough at a point in time, all of a sudden you start to hear the chirping. And gradually it gets worse and worse to the point that it becomes untenable, especially when he doesn't have the statistics to match the bitching. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and we get another Mahomes AFC championship game, six straight. That's <laughs> just unbelievable. Six straight. And boy, am I about to do what I caution people against and go against Kansas City this time of year. But I, I like Baltimore's chances in this game. I really do, especially if some of those Injuries that the Chiefs suffered, Gay and, ah, shoot, the other guy's name is escaping me right now. If they end up out for this game, then that's going to be a problem for Kansas City against a Baltimore team that is really good running the football and I think better than a lot of people realize throwing the football too. I know Lamar Jackson is likely about to win an MVP award, but this is a dynamic offense and a defense that is also really, really good. Some of the best linebacker play I think I've seen in a long, long time. Um, and obviously that's something defensively and at that position too, with Ray Lewis and some others that have come through Baltimore, that's kind of what they're known for is that defense. Now they have that stingy defense that that's their trademark. And then they also have an insanely explosive offense to back it up. And, and look, I don't think it's on the Ravens front. I don't think it's a coincidence that Lamar Jackson's now having his best year when you went out and got him Zay flowers. And they finally got a receiver that's flourished into, I would say it's pretty safe to say, a number one receiver type of role and type of production. I know I know he's only a rookie, but, you know, and then you go out and get complimentary pieces around him, Odell Beckham. And, um, I mean, likely he caught the touchdown pass where he said, 
they didn't catch the one, the one that should have been picked by the Texans in that game. And he goes, hey, throw it up to me next time. And Lamar goes right back to him. Uh, and Lamar, like, didn't even really have his one of his better games passing. Yeah. And that was that was the knock on Lamar in the playoffs for a long time was if he doesn't have a great game passing, then the running didn't seem to always translate when they got to the playoffs. Well, at least against the Texans, a young but still really salty defense, that, that running translated in a playoff game. I don't know if it will again against the Chiefs. I think he's going to have to throw the ball a little bit better, but uh, I also felt like he was effective throwing the ball when he really needed to be. And they started protecting him better in the second half. Whatever adjustments they made offensively in the second half, I mean, give Todd Monken a ton of credit or whoever you want to give the credit to for those, um, for, you know, for those adjustments at halftime because the Texans were all over him in the first half. They were pressuring him left and right. And then I felt like in the second half, it completely flipped. Like when he needed to throw, he had plenty of time. And then when they pressured him, there were running lanes that were open, which obviously no one you'd rather have in the league to take advantage of some rushing lanes like that than, than Lamar Jackson. So yeah, ton, ton of credit to them. I mean, an early lean, I think uh, would be to, uh, to, for me to do the uh, definition of insanity track, which is to just keep doing it over and over again when it's not working and bet against Mahomes. <laughs> so even though the Texans finished up with 10 points, their offense didn't do jack squat. Well, no, they didn't. And the only Stop. touchdown was special teams. <laughs> touchdown with special teams. And we talked about it on Friday. It was going to be tough sledding throwing the football at Baltimore on Saturday because it was going to be really cold and it was going to be super windy too. And CJ Stroud, who is one of the best young passers in the league right now after his rookie season, 19 to 33 for 175 yards, he couldn't throw the football down the field. There were a few times where he tried and it was just off target as a result of the conditions. And so it came down to which team was going to be better running the football because you would wear the opposing defense down. Devin Singletary, nine carries for 22 yards. Lamar, 11 for 100. Justice Hill had a great game, 13 for 66. Gus Edwards, 10 for 44. Dalvin Cook, 8 for 23. So Baltimore continued to wear down a Texans defense that I agree with you. They were playing with their hair on fire in the first half and is a, a big reason why Houston was tied and should have had a lead Heading into halftime, a Fairbairn hadn't missed that field goal at the end of the half. But you can only do so much before you need help from the other side of the ball. And unfortunately, when that continued to not happen uh, for the Texans on offense, it was only a matter of time before Baltimore was going to break through. And ultimately, they had a seven-point lead going into the third quarter. It got to the fourth quarter, and you saw pretty quickly that this game was over. And then, of course, Baltimore put 17 points on, on the board to ensure as much. I mean, completely stuffed the run, too. Yeah, going going back to the Ravens defense, there was that one run that Singletary finally broke in the in the third quarter. Which, <laughs> when I watched the replay, I was like, "Man, that's just an unbelievable run." There was no space, and he finally turned nothing into something. And if you look at now what the Chiefs did well against Buffalo, not as good of a defense, or at least not as healthy of a defense, uh, definitely up front, they were really able to run the ball. I mean, even Clyde Edwards-Alaire last night had a pretty good chunk run. Uh, that I think set up one of their one of their touchdowns late, and for the most part they were able to run the ball pretty well. Pacheco had some of his just super angry looking runs that yeah. that he said he's he's a fun story. I mean, it, it goes back to you know you have superstars on the field and then superstars in the front office too because the Chiefs, the Ravens, I mean all the teams, the Lions, everybody left, um, and, and the, the Niners of course getting Brock Purdy in the seventh round. But I'm sure if you go look, I only know two of them off the top of my head, but if you go look at 
all four teams left. I bet they each have at least one, probably multiple seventh round picks that are playing huge roles for them. The one in San Francisco is obvious. It's Brock Purdy. We can talk about that more in a minute. Talk about talk about Purdy. And then it's Pacheco. I mean, they got Pacheco in the seventh round, what, two drafts ago? Because he was a rookie last year, helped them win a Super Bowl. You know, there's just teams like this that that draft and and find diamonds in the rough, even when you're not picking number one or one through ten every single year. They just find find guys to do that. And uh, you know, the Chiefs and the Ravens are great examples of that. But going back to uh, you know, the Chiefs' ability to run the ball and whether or not that'll translate in Baltimore on on Sunday. I, I I don't know, and I think that'll that'll be what could potentially decide this game is if the Ravens stop the run like they did again. Obviously, they they have a quarterback to to get it done in Kansas City, but I do think that was key in Kansas City's win against Buffalo was was really the the ability to get some chunk plays in the run game and put Mahomes in more manageable you know third down clutch type conversion situations. About the Lions winning a second playoff game this postseason, disposing of the Bucks 31-23. Baker Mayfield, decent game. He did turn the ball over twice, of course, at the end to, to clinch the victory for the Lions. And Detroit now has a chance to make a Super Bowl. I don't know how many people thought that we would be saying that at the start of this 2023 season, if they can pull off the upset in San Francisco on Sunday. Trey, when, when my teams are no longer in it, which well, I say teams, my one team, uh, which is basically every single year in week congrats, one. Congrats to Pierce on getting the job full-time, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, we can talk more about more about that in a minute. Um, but when that when that's out of it, which, like I said, it is basically every single year during the playoffs outside of a couple of years ago, in recent memory, I go back to, especially in this round, like, all right, what are our possible Super Bowl storylines and – you know, what, what's the chance that we get this? And I look at that NFC game with the lions. You're either going to get Jared Goff going back to the super bowl and his path to get there included the first playoff win in Detroit for Detroit in 32 years. And it was in Detroit and he beat his former team to do it. They win another home playoff game the next year and then go on the road and beat the one seat after that, like that redemption story right there to get back to a super bowl and potentially win it. That's an awesome storyline. Brock Purdy leading San Francisco to the Super Bowl would be an awesome storyline. And then obviously on the other side, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in those storylines too. You have Mahomes could win and have a chance to win a third Super Bowl. You could have Lamar go and have a chance to win his first Super Bowl and elevate his status in the history of the game. Like I, for, for going 0-4 with my picks and my team not even ever sniffing the Super Bowl, I'm pretty excited about just as a football fan of what we have of championship weekend here to decide who's going to go to the Super Bowl. And I mentioned it with the Lions earlier, like just seeing Chip in his Lions gear was another example after watching that game of just how good you feel for for fans when it finally goes their way, when they stick it out of a certain team like that. And <laughs> they've had every reason you could possibly think of to quit on their team over the years. And and look, maybe some of those fans have, but but now they, they get the opportunity uh, that they get to watch the freaking Lions, the freaking Detroit Lions play for a trip to the Super Bowl. I don't I don't even have anything else to break down about that game. It's just I just I just enjoyed watching that. It was so much fun watching those fans go crazy. 
I mean, you got grown people basically in tears in the stands, especially last week too, when they finally won a playoff game. It was awesome. They've got playmakers on both sides of the ball. They are an easy team to like and root for as a passive observer, let's say. I've been a fan of this team really going back to Dan Campbell's first season in the league three years ago. He's got some compassionate meathead vibes going on, and he's just a likable dude. I know some people don't like him. I think that overall he's a likable dude. But well, what is there not to like? More importantly, some people are just like, oh, he's he's an idiot. He's a meathead on the sidelines. He makes stupid decisions. He always goes for it. He declines the three points, which, look, I can understand that gripe as somebody who used to have to root for a Tom Herman-led Texas football team. But uh, I don't think it's that cut and dry with him. And we have seen examples of him rolling the dice and going for it and it actually working out for them. Should have worked out for them against the Cowboys the second to last week of the regular season. And it did end up uh, working out for them uh, yesterday as well. But regardless of Dan Campbell, the person, Dan Campbell, the football coach, has his guys playing their asses off. They were fighting tooth and nail that first year. I want to say they ended up with four or five wins on the year. They were in a lot of games and kept getting their hearts ripped out in those games, but kept coming back the next week, making it difficult for that next opponent. Remember, that was the year that the Lions... We're on the verge of beating the Ravens before Justin Tucker kicked an NFL record field goal to beat Detroit that day. There were like several examples like that that year, but they kept getting back up and getting ready for that next game. And you saw more signs of improvement last season where they play at Green Bay. Last game of the year, Green Bay wins, they make the playoffs. Detroit upsets them, even though they didn't really have anything to play for other than pride and maybe ruining Green Bay's season. You got that legendary Jamal Williams interview at the end of that game as well. (laughs) And then this year you're seeing more steps forward too. Uh, They continue to do a great job of drafting. They continue to do a great job of free agency. Happy for Jared Goff, who everybody had just written off as some loser that the Rams were getting rid of. The fact that he has made it to the NFC Championship game is an instrumental reason as to why Detroit is here. It's not like he's... I don't know, Trent Dilfer, uh, Joe Flacco, a figure like that. Like Jared Goff is making plays and he's got a great rapport with a fun group of receivers. I'm on Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, Jamison Williams really coming on. Uh, The tight end, Sam Laporta. I mean, he is the future uh, at that position in the NFL. And then a couple of really talented running backs too that I think accentuate one another exceptionally with David Montgomery, who I've liked going back to his days at Iowa State, and Jameer Gibbs, who has been the best rookie running back in the league this year. Sorry, Bijan fans, myself included. Jameer Gibbs looks like the better NFL running back right now. That may change now that Arthur Smith is no longer in charge of Bijan's present and future. But for right now, Jameer Gibbs is a star in the making in the Motor City. Yeah, and you you – clarified it there trey i was like let's let's be clear that i i know you mean that that's that has nothing the Bijan comment has nothing to do with Bijan himself and everything to do with coaching that was not utilizing him properly or or frankly just unleashing him properly because it's not like you got to be that big of a genius to to scheme up good plays for guys like Bijan robinson arthur smith at one point midway through the year and showing just how ass hurt he was that the team took a running back with a top 10 pick it's like, oh, yeah, we feel like our best usage of Bijan is sending the ball the other way from where he is to use him as a decoy. It's like, really? Is that your fucking answer, Arthur Smith? Because you're about to be fired, if so. Sure enough. Yeah, I was going to say, and then 
look look how it ended. Oh, but one more one more thought on Detroit and LA for this matter. Has there ever been a trade? Someone please in the comments. If there's a if there's a better one, please school me. In my lifetime, I can't think of a better trade in football that worked out for both sides better than the Rams Lions trade for the Stafford Stafford Goff swap and whatever picks. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, what picks were involved in that. But I really can't think of a, of a trade that looking back years down the line and also immediately for the Rams, because they won a Super Bowl with Stafford that next year. But I really can't think of a trade that that worked out better for both teams. And it's just another reminder that when teams make trades like that, it, like two, two, things, two things can be true, for at least from the Rams' perspective here, and even from Detroit's perspective, but Ram, with the Rams specifically – McVay can look and say, we got to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff, and I think we can do better, and I think the missing piece in my offense is a better quarterback, does not mean that Jared Goff is a shitty quarterback. It just means that McVay feels like the urgency, the time is now, and I need a better quarterback to do that. And it can also say that it worked out well for, for Detroit, because clearly it did. They got a guy that had a little bit of, t- little bit of potential, needed a fresh start, got that in Detroit, and then they built a team around him. And credit Dan Campbell, too, because that would have been really easy for Dan Campbell to come into that situation and say, can Jared Goff really be my guy? So credit to Campbell and that whole front office for giving Goff a real opportunity to prove that he's the guy. And, and now most, here we are. And, and and he has. And now he has a chance to uh, play for a Super Bowl and – Look, I know it's fashionable right now. BK and I talked about this earlier. He's like, you're going to flip because you hate to go with the mainstream because the mainstream almost almost always turns out to be wrong. There are a lot of people picking Detroit to pull off the outright upset over San Francisco this weekend. The biggest reason why I feel like, the two biggest reasons why I feel like that can happen is because teams that have had success against this Detroit defense can throw the football well, especially with Debo Samuel's status up in the air with that shoulder injury and what Brock Purdy looked like and has looked like at times this year, especially against decent competition, I feel like Brock Purdy may eventually be the downfall for San Francisco. And so if you don't have that going for you against this Lions defense and that front is able to be disruptive and they hold Christian McCaffrey in check and they can get some pressure on Purdy and force him into some of those seemingly inexplicable turnovers that he became so well-known for at Iowa State and that we've seen in small doses in his time in San Francisco, and that Lions offense can get cooking like they're capable of. It is ripe for an upset. But then again, maybe pulling out that win over Green Bay served as a wake-up call for the 49ers on Saturday. It really is funny as, I mean, everybody that's on, on Texas Sports Unfiltered followed Big 12 football while Brock Purdy was at Iowa State. And he was a really good college quarterback, don't get me wrong, but it is and again, I never broke down his game or anything like that, or like the reads he was making or whatever, you know, specific offense he was in and how that would translate to the NFL. But it is funny to see later on now, Brock Purdy, almost immediately when he got the opportunity, develop into this quarterback who's just a ridiculously good processor of information and game manager type decision maker in a really complex offense like Kyle Shanahan's. Because Trey, you you just alluded to it. Guy threw some really bad picks when he was in college and again maybe he learned from those but I feel like he did it year over year where he made some great plays but I did not the way he played at Iowa State 
I didn't see it coming. And I don't think many claimed that many would claim maybe now they would, but could actually accurately claim that they predicted he would turn into that quarterback. He was at Iowa state to this type of NFL quarterback. Like maybe you thought, Hey, a guy like that could play in the NFL, but specifically a Shanahan offense, an elite processor of information and decision maker, you know, getting the ball to playmakers like that and protecting the ball for the most part, like he has, I did not see that coming. He, but was, Trey, the same, he was the same guy in year four that he was year one in Ames. I know. And then all of a sudden he went to the, to the NFL and was like turned into what he is now. And like, I mean, product of his environment, I guess, in a good way. For sure, that's a part of it, but it's not like they wanted him to start as a rookie. He was forced into that role because of injuries. And I would also argue that that Iowa State, as the expectations grew, you didn't see his development and growth with him. Now, his overall numbers as a senior looked good, but there were also plenty of moments where it was like one of those shoot-yourself-in-the-foot moments for Brock Purdy, where it's like, why did you just throw that ball or why did the ball all of a sudden just go backwards from where you were as you were trying to elude pressure like Quinn Ewers had a little bit of that back in 2022 now thankfully Quinn grew out of that but yeah. that quality was on display for Quinn too his first year starting at Texas well I mean that's what you know that same type of thing is pretty much exactly what we saw from Malik Murphy in his two games when he played at Texas it's something that you see from really young quarterbacks a lot especially super talented guys like even way more way more just raw physically gifted guys like a Ewers or like a Malik Murphy than you would see you know than you got from from a Brock Purdy so yeah for him to not really immediately grow out of that in college and then flip the switch and the pros is is interesting but I texted you this before the show too Trey I want to talk about Brock Purdy because I'm not going to sit here and act like the guy had his best game by any means. I mean, he, he did not, he struggled early on that whole offense struggled early on, but the whole narrative around Brock Purdy and this Niners team, even before he got there with Shanahan and his previous struggles deep in the postseason, was that this was not a team, not an offense specifically that's built to come from behind. It's a team that's built to get a lead, go out in front play really good defense, control the clock, make a couple big plays here and there, protect the ball, and then win games that way. Well, I've seen so much criticism of Brock Purdy still today, or and even yesterday because they played that game on Saturday, and I don't really get it because the guy now does the one thing that you said he hasn't done. Not everyone's saying he couldn't do, but just that he hasn't done this offense, this team has not done. Like if any other, I'm telling you, Trey, if any other quarterback leads that drive, we are gawking, gawking at some of the throws he made. We are putting dudes in the Hall of Fame. We're legacy drive. We're overreacting out the wazoo on the positive end. If that's CJ Stroud, if that's Lamar Jackson, if that's whoever else, Mahomes has done it a million times. If, if Allen did that, I mean, we would be losing our minds talking about how great of a legacy drive that was. And then with Brock Purdy, it's just like, oh yeah, whatever. Like, I feel like people keep moving the goalposts on this guy. And I don't I don't really understand it. I'm not saying he's like my favorite quarterback ever. I have no affinity for Brock Purdy specifically or the team he plays for. In fact, they used to be our Bay Area rivals. So it's not like I'm a big Niners guy and I'm trying to stick up for Brock Purdy. I just feel like the guy, like, is this just a societal thing where we love the underdog story until the underdog has too much success? 
we love the we love the odds that you overcome as Mr. Irrelevant, the dead last pick in the draft until you get put in a really good situation and you make the most of an opportunity. Like I don't know where you stand on it, but I've I've just been a little I've been a little confused by the pushback on on Brock Purdy because some of the throws the guy made, the one to Ayuk on third and five, the very next play, 17 yards to was it Chris Conley? Who who has heard about Chris Conley since he was at freaking Georgia? I know he's on the Chiefs for a couple of years, but I mean, come on. And then also the other thing with Brock Purdy, Trey, last thing was, oh, you know, they lost the three games when a bunch of guys got hurt. Oh my gosh, one of the greatest left tackles of all time and Trent Williams goes down. Debo Samuel, a unicorn weapon in the history of offensive football, goes down. And whoever else was injured, yeah, they're they're not as good after that. Well, Debo Samuel goes down and then, yeah, it took him a minute to get going. Well, check another box there. He did it mid-game, mid-game adjustments. Him and this entire offense. Give Shanahan credit too. Like, I just, I don't understand why the goalposts keep moving on this guy. We as a society like tearing people down. Is, right. We love we love an underdog story until underdog has too much success. Right. And then you become mainstream. Then you become a success story. And people love to see success stories torn down. Now, Brock Purdy was receiving a lot of MVP love midway through the year. Cool. And his his numbers are pretty good. But in terms of the most valuable player on that team who should have been in that consideration, it's obviously that that conversation begins with Christian McCaffrey, right? And so I think a lot of people are like, all right, the pendulum has now swung too far in the direction of the underdog story to where this guy is getting way too much love for what he's actually doing. And so then people bring it upon themselves to help this pendulum start to swing back in the other direction. I'm somewhere in the middle right now. I'm like, Brock Purdy has been an incredible story this NFL season, but I watched Brock Purdy for long enough to know that it was, there's a bit of a facade there. And like, it does feel to me like it's only a matter of time before, before the real Brock Purdy reveals himself. And the guy who had expectations heaped on him his last couple of years at Iowa state and is having to settle for cheese it bowls or worse. uh, That guy's going to come crashing back down to earth despite the fact that he's got a, a pretty stellar cast around him. Maybe it doesn't happen, though. That's one of the fun things about sports, to see whether our predictions and our beliefs about what is going to happen based on what has happened, uh, whether that formulates or not. Yeah, I, I just I just really struggle because everyone's kicking this guy around. And I, I understand, like, the MVP talk, I think that's ridiculous, too. I don't think he's near the MVP of the league. Well, this has also been a weird year, though, where there hasn't been that one obvious guy for extended stretches. Like, it's almost, not to diminish his season, because he's had a great season, it's going to be Lamar Jackson by default. But that that didn't, to your point, that didn't become... The entire time who played the most consistently. Yeah, and that didn't become obvious on Lamar until late. True. Until the last, like, until until the win over Purdy against the 49ers. And I think... I think you'll agree with this too, Trey. I think a lot of the like MVP conversation and that kind of stuff, it comes from these shock jock daytime talk show type things and undisputed a first take. Like they come up with topics in the middle of the season when they're running out of content. Like they have games, but they're running out of real, like, like they've talked about the same storylines for the most part for I'm talking about week 10, week 11, whenever this was coming up with Brock Purdy, the better part of, 
you know, two and a half months of the football season and, you know, college football, we're not at that point yet where we're arguing about who's going to be in the playoff and then they can fill, you know, an hour of a three hour talk show with that. I think a lot of it is like shock jock bull crap that gets thrown out there. And then, you know, Joe fan just bites at that because every time they turn on ESPN, it's what's on their TV. It's on the, even if they don't have the, even if they don't, not even listening to Stephen a, or they have FS one on there, listening to skip and whoever's on there now, like they're just seeing the Brock Purdy MVP question mark. And they lose their minds. Like, I don't think anybody in their right. I mean, and maybe I'll be proven wrong when the votes come out. I don't think anybody in their right mind that covers professional football was going to vote Brock Purdy for MVP because vote Christian McCaffrey. If you're going to do that, like, I think I'm somewhere in the middle with you as well. It just pisses me off more like That's kind of how, how the guy's been being tear, being torn down now, because on that last drive tray, I, I mentioned it again and, or I mentioned earlier, but I'll mention it again. The third and five to Brandon Ayuk, that was elite ball placement on that throw. And then he makes the heads up play to set up the McCaffrey touchdown by running for eight or nine yards. Guy hadn't ran all game, makes a heady play, runs, sets up whatever it was, second and short, and then they run it in with McCaffrey. Like, I just don't know why we're tearing this guy down. That's that's the part that I, I really have a hard time with. Yeah, he was great that last drive of the game. He He was great when he had to be. And the MVP conversation is perpetuated in part by Vegas because Vegas puts out MVP odds each week after the games have been played. But the MVP conversation is, in my eyes, a lot like the, let's call it the college football playoff ranking conversation on the college side of things, where it's like it's something interesting to talk about week to week. You certainly don't want to put too much stock into it. And if there is something that seems that out of whack, even if it's something in the playoff committee's case of uh, just trying to incite conversation to make the conversation about that, uh, it it does dupe people into going there. Even if you really think about it, it's like, well, these rankings don't mean a whole lot. They don't mean anything really until the last couple of weeks of the season. And really, they don't mean anything until after the the conference championship games are played. MVP conversation is fun because there's hypothetical money on the line. You get to talk, do get to talk about who's playing well at a given point in time. Now I would also argue that the MVP conversation, a lot like the Heisman trophy conversation most years is who's the best quarterback in the league. It doesn't typically go to somebody outside of that position, but it is another one of those time wasters, if you will, like a low hanging fruit that keeps you from having to think harder or, get more creative and coming up with the conversation that you're having in the middle of week nine or week 10, let's say. Yeah, for sure. And that's the reason, I mean, I don't do a bunch of futures betting to begin with. I'll maybe do one or two, like at the beginning of any given season, I actually really didn't do much with football this year, but you know, just to make it more exciting, something I believe in, but that's why I struggle with the MVP, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, um, I don't know if I followed enough in baseball for, you know, Cy Young, MVP, those kind of things, but definitely it's just too much, it's too much narrative involved for me to be putting my money on it where like, really, I mean, I'm trying to think of a good example this year, but well, I mean, in the NBA, it's like, <laughs> you could almost get, you could almost give it to LeBron James going back the last decade, at least 
you can pretty much give it to him every year. And yeah. Joker's kind of gotten to that point too. Like maybe LeBron, that was more maybe five, six years ago. But Joker, like, I don't know if he got it last year. I don't even remember. But that was a conversation for a little bit because it was like, and everyone's going, well, can you give it to him a third year in a row? Yes. If he's the most valuable player three years in a row, you can give it to him three years in a row, guys. Like, it's the same thing with the Heisman. And Caleb didn't deserve it again this year, but Caleb Williams was going to have to turn in an even better performance to win it this year because of the narrative surrounding these awards, whether it's a Heisman or an MVP and the pros, you know, and it just gets, it gets kind of silly, but it's an interesting point you brought up about Vegas and their role that I didn't really consider because the same, it's the same thing with Heisman odds. I've seen Quinn Ewers articles out the, out the ass the last, for lack of a better phrase, the last couple of weeks since he decided to return. Quinn Ewers, Heisman favorite, you know. Well, look, if Texas plays a similar brand of football that they played last year and they don't let Quinn Ewers throw for as many yards as Jaden Daniels threw for and, um, you know, other guys, other guys threw for this year, then, like, he's probably not going to win the Heisman Trophy, guys. Like, if there's somebody on his team that rushes – you know, there's two running backs that combine for 2,300 yards and they're a heavy run team and he throws for 215 yards a game and two touchdowns. He's not going to win the Heisman Trophy. Sorry. I mean, it's why J.J. McCarthy didn't get invited. No, you're right about that. Yeah, Vegas controls a lot of those sorts of conversations. They control the preseason conversations because you have win totals, over-unders, you have the MVP odds, Heisman Trophy odds. I mean, I'm sure you get the same emails that I do on a weekly, if not daily basis during football season of updated odds over this or that. Like, And I oh, get yeah. it. It's fun to talk about these things. We have the – I think we have the opening line for Texas-Georgia out now. See, I clearly don't care enough about these things because I didn't even look to see what the opening line is. But that was previewed on one of the TSU shows last week show that i don't think we ever got to that topic but yeah those for those like wait what was it for like a week seven game <laughs> yeah no that's, that's See, that? like i can't even i can't even really i have a hard time looking at preseason ap top 25 in college football and i love college football because it's like i don't give a shit like I'll, I'll glance at it but like if texas if it feels like texas is slighted or is five spots too low or out of the top 25? They should be in the top 25. It's like, calm down. Embrace the hate. Add it to the pile of hate. Yeah. If they, are, if they play well enough, they will eventually find their way into the top 25. They The AP will not keep them out for that long. Just take care of your business. Well, this was a perfect example of that, Trey. I mean, the perfect example of if you're Texas and you go 11 and one and you have a win over Alabama or I know they didn't have this, but let's say a win over OU or, you know, a really good win. You <laughs> shit, even if you don't, as long as the loss isn't atrocious, you're Texas. If you go 11 and one, they're going to find a way to put you in, <laughs> which is what happened this year. They deserve to get in. Don't get me wrong. It's not me taking anything away from anybody, but they're going to find a way to put Texas in that brand, that team. So yeah. And this won't happen this year, but if Texas any given year comes in at 22 on the top on the top 25, yeah, believe me, guys. Like, don't don't worry about it. Do your business on the field, and uh, it was almost to you know, and, and you're you're going to get in, which is basically what we were saying with the. Uh, I know they needed a little bit of help while those playoff conversation scenarios that we had. Uh, yeah, that's. Yeah, so we did talk about the Texas basketball team a little bit on Friday and 
Rodney Terry's present, his recent past, and his future with this team, which needed to focus pretty quickly on a game against a top 10 opponent here in Austin on Saturday, that being the number nine Baylor Bears, their last visit to Austin on the men's basketball side of things before Texas switches conferences next year. And this was a make-or-break moment for this basketball program. Not to say that they haven't made now. There's still a lot of work in front of you. But for at least one game, Jeff, not only does Texas come out victorious, but we do finally see some alphas emerge, as you had called for on Friday, in the name and face of Dylan DeSue and Tyrese Hunter, who I'd argue, along with Max Asmus, are the most important guys to take ownership of this program for them to find any level of success the rest of the way. Yeah. Not that this is like a, a flaming observation or anything like that, or, or a hot take, but that's the Tyrese Hunter that Texas needs moving forward. That is the Tyrese Hunter that, and again, not that you need 21 from from him every night, shot four or seven from three, but you need that aggressive Tyrese Hunter, that leader Tyrese Hunter, that dog, Tyrese Hunter because with with a guy like Tyrese we know it's we know it's in him with with Asmus I, I just feel like we don't necessarily know enough about him I mean we know about the scoring and we know about the accolades and you know the run to the sweet 16 with Oral Roberts as a 15 a couple years ago so I'm sure there's a level of leadership that's there with Max Asmus but he's only been with the program a matter of months we and in Texas fans the one year he wasn't with the one year that Tyrese Hunter wasn't with the program you saw what he could do I mean, as a Big 12 freshman of the year, true freshman leading them to the Sweet 16. By the way, the same site that Texas was at that year in Chris Beard's first season. So you know that 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 dog, that leader, that elevating teammates around him, you know that that's there with Tyrese Hunter. And I would love to know what conversations, if any, specifically were were had. Maybe their conversations didn't need to be had between – uh, Rodney Terry and Tyrese Hunter, or maybe it's an assistant coach that has a great relationship with Tyrese. Um, I mean, Rodney, I know, has a great relationship with him. He said after the game, he's like, I, I love Tyrese like a son. And, you know, so I don't know if there's conversation between those guys, but whatever happened, they need to bottle that up because Tyrese Hunter was basically benched at the end of the last two games. He had seven points and four points in the last two games before the Baylor game for the for the entire game. So I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. I don't know if he wasn't right, but yeah, that's whatever. Whatever was in him, the sense of urgency, they need to bottle that up and use it again moving forward because he's so key for this team, so key. And he, I don't know if Asmus can play the defense that Tyrese is able to play. Like I feel like Tyrese is he's smaller guard, but he's I think he's truly the athlete. If the urgency and energy is there on the defensive end that sets a tone for the rest of the team when Tyrese does it and again I don't know if I want to throw that on Max because yeah he's athletic in his own way but he's even smaller and I don't know if he's athletic in the way that he can just get down and be a dog and guard somebody like that like he may not have that ability in him for what you know for everything that he brings on the other end of the floor scoring at least I think Tyrese Hunter has been the victim of his own chill nature at times over the last two seasons because we saw a more assertive dude with Iowa State his freshman season last year he was surrounded by a ton of talent and a bunch of guys who had 
really been playing together for a season or more. And he wasn't as needed to be the guy to step up and be that dude. I was arguing last season that Tyrese Hunter stepping up and, and filling some form of that role would be important in this team, maximizing their abilities. They still made it further than a Texas program had in 16 years. So credit to them as a group for making that happen. But this year with the amount of turnover on the roster and the fact that it all of a sudden he is one of uh, a few returning starters, it was more imperative that he be more assertive. But as a result of him being just a really laid back dude, he's okay with other guys trying to step into that role too. But uh, like you just questioned, I'm wondering if somebody came to him and said, look, you need to, I know this goes against your nature in some ways, but it's okay for you to step up and be that dude and to insist on being the one that has the basketball in his hands at crucial moments in the game. Not just because of your scoring ability, because you are also the best we have at creating opportunities for other guys as well. And for at least one game, we saw, and it's been more than one game too this year, by the way. We've seen some great games out of Tyrese Hunter this year. But for at least uh, one game against really good competition, he proved that he has that ability. On top of Dylan DeSue being assertive like he was, he's still shooting too many threes for my liking, but he's making them, so I guess I can't complain too much. But DeSue asserting himself on offense and also uh, being a force to be reckoned with at times on defense as well. And even though this Texas offense really got lazy with movement and ball movement on offense in the second half, they picked up the slack in a lot of ways defensively to make things much more difficult for the Bears to try and put the ball in the bucket. Yeah, my, my last thought on Tyrese Hunter before I, I want to touch on on uh, Dylan DeSue's effort on Saturday because he was really, really good. But if it were me, I would I would tell Tyrese exactly what you just said, Trey. I would I would tell him, and like we said, probably find out later. I feel like these are the stories that if they have a good season and they end up turning it around, these are the stories that slowly kind of come out later in weekly media availabilities and tournament press conferences and those things about different points in the season and turning point moments, conversations, but I would pull him aside and say, Tyrese, this is your team. Like you are, you are the guy. It doesn't mean that you need to score 21 points every night, but from a leadership standpoint in our backcourt, this is your team. Yes. There's other leaders on the team, but he, I mean, Tyrese and DeSue, they have the most, I guess, uh, you know, experience with this team, with this coaching staff, with Rodney Terry, like, Dude, go set the tone for everybody else. You're that guy to do that. And even if, even on a night where, and I don't know if it was a, an issue of maybe, you know, catering too much to Ace Miss and his transition into the team, because that is a big transition. That's a guy that shoots the ball a lot for good reason. He's really damn good at it. And he scores a lot and he, need, and he needs the ball in his hands, obviously, to do that. Goes without saying. But, you know, maybe just telling him, like telling Tyrese, you can still be that guy on a night where Max has 25 points, like there's enough time on the clock and the ball can go around enough to where you can still run this team and be the true heartbeat of this team. Cause I think Tyrese is a guy that just going back. And I mean, man, the guy's life story is crazy. The adversity that the guys overcome the way that he handled going back to Iowa state and getting absolutely reamed some of the most classless chicken shit behavior I've ever seen from a fan base. Booing is one thing, but some of the crap that was said to him and the insults hurled when he went back to Iowa state last year. What and was when Texas, I don't remember. 
oh, just f bombs, and I think even Rodney said something afterwards, like stuff to where it's like I try to be like I know it's college kids, but I mean, come on, man, this guy took you to this took you to the Sweet Sixteen, and then felt like he had a chance to elevate his situation after that, like you know, just the just the stuff that was said to him, and he handled it totally well. I mean, he hell, he handled it better than a lot of adults would have handled it. He handled it better than. Rodney Terry handled an indirect insult with the horns down <laughs> last week on Wednesday night. So I just think the way that I've seen him carry himself, knowing his backstory of losing both of his parents before he turned, I think, 13 or 14 years old, you know, being raised the rest of the way by his brother, you know, he won state championships in high school, just like the way the guy carries himself for all the, all the just stuff he's been through in his life. I mean, hell, he got going back to the other stuff, the more trivial stuff of getting booed when they went, he got booed by the crowd when they were in Des Moines. There wasn't even an Iowa team playing. They were just in, you know, Iowa. They were just 30 minutes from Ames. Um, So I think all of that added together with his experience there, his relationship with the coaching staff, it lends itself to a guy who is very respected in the locker room, uh, should be very respected by the fan base. I think he is. And a guy that can be that leader, just saying, dude, this is your team. Like, yeah, you can ease guys in, but don't feel like you need to, you know, do do too much. Go out of your way. Like you, you can still get yours and ease these guys in. But we're hitting crunch time now to where that's the stuff that probably should have happened in <laughs> you know the middle of the latter part of non-conference play. Were you covering the game on Saturday? Uh no, I wasn't at the game. Okay. I, I was I was just anchoring. I was just watching from home. What are your thoughts on DeSue? Oh yeah, thoughts on Dassou. Just I know you mentioned that he maybe takes too many threes for your liking at, at, at points of time, which I think too, given how much of a post presence this team needs yeah. with Shedrick. When Shedrick's in there, I think he's really effective when he's healthy, but he's just had a hard time staying on the court this year. So Dassou's post presence is really important, and you saw in the most important points of the game, they went down to Dassou the basket and the foul. I know we didn't make the free throw to convert the three point play, but that, that basket that made it 69, 66. I mean, that was huge. You saw the fire in Sue, him doing the, you know, to the fan base. And that's the kind of stuff I need to see more of. And I know you need to have success on the court to, you know, be the guy that gets the crowd into it and all that. But I think that's a lot of what we've talked about the last couple of shows, Trey, of just guys just showing that, yes, please show that like, Get the crowd involved. Like that's what Jabari, Sir Jabari Rice used to do last year. High five the guys after an and one. Like that stuff is contagious. And DeSue going into the post on that basket, I think was a great example of, yeah, he's not necessarily the biggest guy, the broadest guy out there, but he is strong. I mean, he's an older guy. He has grown man strength when he goes down there. He took that up in between two guys and made that basket. So uh, a little bit more of that from him to your point earlier about wanting to see more of him in the post, I think would go a long way. And then, you know, my, my, my rant, uh, my winding and twisting rant about Tyrese and the way that he's respected and, and his, his leader. And clearly he's got some dog in him too, making that shot at the end. And how about that plate? I don't know if that was the play design at the end or what that was, but that was an awesome little, whatever you want to call it, give and go. Like oh, Dylan, yeah. at, Dylan at about, you know, the, the opposing three point line and then the little underhand toss right back to Tyrese. And I love taking it right at the basket tray. I I'm a huge fan of the no timeout to Rodney's credit. It's actually exactly what they did 
um, or similar to what they did on the Max Aismas game winner where Rodney didn't call a timeout. And I like that because you see so many times in college basketball where a team calls a timeout and they try to get too cute and the play doesn't work right away and they don't even get a shot off at the end of the game. Or, or if they do get a shot off, it's some BS heave. I mean, that's exactly what I want is I want one of my better, faster guards going right at the other guy. You either draw a foul or you, or what happens happen. You lay it in, you win the game. Yeah. And that's exactly what went down. Now, Rodney Terry is not going to be able to escape last week for a long time, apparently, because did you see how Rodney Terry celebrated at the end of the game? Jumping up and down after saying, following the UCF horns down bit, that we don't jump up and down, we win or lose games, we handle it with class. It's it's the case, it's the classic case, Trey, of when I think your your tweet put it perfectly. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll let you say say what you said because I I agreed I agreed with classic what you do better than a lot of people is putting it into you know taking that, but then putting it into perspective too, of why people are running with it. Yeah. Look, I mean, when you, when you come out with a certain sanctimoniousness, I don't care what it's about. The world has a very, a very funny way of getting you back pretty quickly. And that's kind of what happened there. And I completely understand why Rodney Terry jumped up and down like he did. That was a huge moment. It was a, a an emotional moment for his basketball team and perhaps a, a pivotal moment in this season. But shit, man, just three days ago, you said you don't jump up and down over wins or losses because you, you try and handle it all with class. It just goes to show that typically, yeah, you're, there's probably something to that, but there are always exceptions to that rule, Rodney. Think about that. Remember that. The next and- time you want to speak out about somebody doing something that uh, that you think is so egregious or such a slight to the game or slight to an opposing fan base. And you know what? It's a great reminder and a great lesson for him in his first full season back as a head coach where you're the one speaking after every single game. You're the one speaking more than likely once a week. Well, basically three times a week because they play, you know, do a post-game press conference two games a week. So twice there, and then typically one other sort of midweek between the games before one of the big games, whatever it may be, uh, press availability. The one I told you that they conveniently just didn't have when they typically would have, you know, again, no, nothing contractually. They're not contractually obligated to have that for the local media, but it was a little funny that they just uh, randomly didn't have one of those. I'll have to keep you posted too when we talk Friday if they've had one in between the Tuesday game tomorrow and then the Saturday game at BYU. Cause it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, but it's a classic case for him of, Hey man, when you, when you go at somebody like that, like he did with the UCF players, and then you talk about it afterwards, people fairly or not are going to take every word of what you say literally, because I don't think Rodney Terry literally meant that, you never jump up and down or anything like that. I just think he was, he was using that as a analogy for how he feels people should act players, coaches, whatever should act after a game. Because, because I've seen that dude jumped up and down after the, uh, the Cincinnati buzzer beater. Um, when the, the Max Aismas one, when they're on the road and won that game, he oh, jumped yeah. up and down yeah. for a minute. But I think what he, his only point was like, Damn it, Madison like, square garden. Um, no, no, no. Um, 
Oh, that is it that one? Well, he also hit the one against uh, Cincinnati on the road, too. Oh, yeah. You know, you're right. You're right. I was thinking about but, Louisville. No, you're correct. Because what, what I've noticed he does every time they have a moment like that is he goes crazy for about three seconds, and then he pulls himself together, and then he goes and shakes hands down the line. Yeah. But again, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to defend the guy. I'm really not. But I'm just saying, I think that's all he was saying is you celebrate for a second, but then once you get in the handshake line, then then that's a different story. Then that stuff's okay. We don't need to be putting the horns down and showing up the other team. I think that's all he was trying to say. But when you come out and have a, again, to your point, sanctimonious holier than thou type of quote that gets put on the internet, that's just what Twitter's going to do. Twitter's just going to dunk on you. And you know what? At this point, if you're Rodney Terry, you can't give a flying, you know what about that. You have to, you have to just move on and say, you know what? I made a mistake. It's a nice lesson and reminder that, People are going to take whatever you say literally and use it against you if they want to. And try to avoid speaking in absolutes because gray areas exist in most cases. Like you can say uh, pedophiles suck and deserve to die. And you're going to be right about that 99.9% of the time. But a 19-year-old kid who hooks up with a 17-year-old former classmate is considered a pedophile in some states. Like is that person? The same as some some forty year old creep who's preying on an elementary school. Absolutely not. So there there's a gray area there. Rodney Terry, just be careful about speaking in absolutes. It's as simple as that. I, I, honestly, as somebody who who is coming to his defense a little bit more than a lot of people were last week, his post game comments following Baylor and addressing the horns down bit made me cringe a little bit because he was basically said if i offended texas fans i was like dude you you definitely offended some texas fans like acknowledge that clearly that upset some texas fans and i've just i've learned my lesson i'm not going to do that he said a version of that but it was qualified in a way that that just made me cringe just a little bit and thinking that he may not totally get it just yet but i am also as the tweet said on saturday willing to laugh about his his uh the uh the 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 way that he jumped up and down following that game was um what's the word that I'm looking for? Hypocritical is is maybe a tad bit hypocritical, but ultimately he is gonna learn his lesson and we won't see something like that again at the end of a game that his team has just lost, where it does look like he's being a little bit of a bad sport too. And for for another analogy, Trey, basically, and this goes to great comment from Melissa right here. Totally totally agree, especially with the first part. She said, Twitter, Twitter going to Twitter. Totally agree with that. And going off of that last analogy of all this, because we've had some, both of us have had some interesting ones here. But I don't know. I don't he, know how I just survived the pedophile analogy. His, his, his actions basically were throwing up the alley-oop for all these people trying to get engagement on Twitter to take it and dunk it right back in his face. I mean, that's, that's basically all that was. Um, but last thing really lasting on this. Cause I think it is kind of ridiculous. Like how much traction it's gotten on the internet, but like how, how hard is it? It, and again, I, I'm going to say our, our gender and our species here, Trey, I've, I fall, fall victim to it sometimes too. It's just really hard for men. A lot of times to just say, I'm sorry. Like, to the, to the like he could have just said it in a better way and you had to know it was going to get asked that's always my thing too is i try to be fair of did 
did they think that was going to get asked? Like if somebody asked him this in three weeks or at the tournament, that'd be one thing. Hey, you had this moment a couple, you know, and he's like, Oh man, I didn't think y'all were going to ask me about that a month and a half later. But is it that hard to just be like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. To me, it's almost, it gets a little disingenuous when you say, when you say, and I know I apologize is basically like, I'm sorry. But when you say I apologize, if I offended anybody, I'm sorry. That is not the same thing as saying, I'm sorry for my actions. It's a qualified apology. Exactly. And he said yeah. a version of that. And I'm like, God, no, just hey. say, I'm sorry. That's all I, I, you and I are in, uh, in agreement. It's, once again, it's That's better. It's better than it's somewhere in the middle. It's better than doubling down. It's to me in a way it's admitting fault. And he mentioned coach Dawkins at UCF and saying like, I'm, well, again, I was about to say, I'm sorry. He's saying, I apologize if I offended coach and his program and blah, blah, blah. Just say like, I'm sorry to those players that I chirped at. Whatever. You know? Yeah, the fact that he said he's good friends with Dawkins, I'm like, damn, this is like, so you're good friends with the guy and you felt the need to chastise his players versus saying something to him behind closed doors. Again, though, like we talked about on Friday, like it spoke to a frustration in the moment for him as well. Yeah. Even though people don't want to see that, like these things are very rarely so black and white there is nuance including this team really struggling out of the gate in conference play that clearly he was frustrated and searching for answers i mean his team had gotten up by 16 points in the first half and was up by as many as 14 in the second half of that game that they ultimately lost by like six or seven points yeah but you know what at the end of the day if he writes the ship then uh gets gets these guys to the tournament then no one's really going to give a shit anymore. I mean, it might, a, might... It, you're right. It will be a footnote versus something that people are lingering on months from now. Yeah. And we mentioned this last week too, with the horns down thing, I always go back to what my dad used to tell me. If you give them the reaction they want, they are going to keep doing it. If you let them know it bothers you, they are going to keep doing it. And that the horns down, there's no greater example in this world of that than the horns down when anybody involved representing Texas or whatever shows that the horns down bothers them. People are only going to do it even more because really, if you, if you act like it doesn't bother you, then it just makes everybody else look stupid. Like to me, it just makes opposing fans doing the horns down. Like, and I always crack up when like I'm at a baseball game and Texas will have like, I think Stanford did it a couple years ago when they came here, not in, not when they played uh, in the tournament. But when they played like a non-conference four-game series here at the Dish, like March, <laughs> they were like Stanford like ah! or Stanford players like, horns down. Like after like a Thursday night game one win, and you're like, guys, please, like you look. And Texas fans, Texas fans and players, their credit were just like, whatever. There's three more games in the series. It's like then, then when that's your response, then those guys just look like idiots, and you just let again. To Melissa's point about Twitter going to Twitter, you let idiots be idiots and you move on. Okay, I brought up the workplace accident counter bit last Friday. I think I figured out what Texas needs to do. Their their version of the, it's been this many days since there's been a workplace <laughs> accident counter. There's been this many days since we've had a Texas coach freak out unnecessarily about the horns down bit. Where you put the counter on campus is... <laughs> on the UT tower in the windows. So like how they'll do graduating class 23, 24, 25, whatever else. 
It's been this many days since the Texas coach has freaked out about horns down. Then again, that probably draws too much attention to it. But yes, we need a counter somewhere, maybe online, if nothing else, to remind everybody, don't freak out about this because it's only going to make the problem worse for that much longer. Because every time a UT coach freaks out about it, I think it extends the likelihood that horns down is going to be in our face for the foreseeable future by, I don't know, a half decade, a decade maybe. I would say we could put it on our screen here, but we have way too many fantastic sponsors that we could not take space away from. We love all of our sponsors. It is a little bit of a 1980s minor league baseball wall, though, if you don't, if I don't say so myself. Oh, I love it. I love it. I made that joke before and I'll make it again and again. We love you guys. Thank you so much for supporting Texas Sports Unfiltered. Speaking of, I can find a recorded spot here. Why don't we play a spot for one of those sponsors? That would be Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? I'm making a silly commercial like other companies so people will remember our name. But we're not like other companies. Anyone could see that from our five-star reviews. But how will people remember Pest Wranglers? Well, once they try us, they'll never forget that we are the most effective, reliable, and affordable pest control company. I guess you're right. Pest Wranglers is the best at pest control, wildlife management, termite pest control. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? Hey, it couldn't hurt. Pest Wranglers, 512-670-7808 or find us on the web at pestwranglers.com. Best Wranglers, all about that customer service, why they have a bunch of five-star ratings and reviews. Check them out for yourself, pestwranglers.com. And also a word from our friend Tom McKay of Audio Visual Consultations. They would love to hook you up with that dream home theater setup like they have for me, BK, and so many others here at TSU. Hi, this is Tom McKay, owner of Audiovisual Consultations, and we'd like to take a moment to thank all of our clients for making the last 25 years both fun and fruitful. For those of you who have not experienced our services yet, we'd like to invite you to give us a try for all of your home electronics needs. We take care of everything from surround sound home theaters and distributed audio to computer networks, home surveillance systems, to a new television in the living room or bedroom. And we come to you. There's no need to leave your home to find great pricing and incomparable service. No traffic, inexperienced sales geeks, or pushy showroom tactics. Just give us a call and we'll visit you at your home or business to take a look at what you really need. Just relax, hug your kids, and smile. We make your electronics and life simpler to manage. So give us a call and discover what over 7,000 families and businesses already have. Audiovisual consultations is the easiest, most complete way to enjoy today's electronics. Call us at 512-255-8678. That's 512-255-8678. Or online at avconsultations.com. Right, audiovisual consultations. You see everybody else here on the screen. 7-Eleven, Woods, Relax the Back, Olipop, Last Hand Hats, Syntex Tickets, Apple Leasing, Top Gun, Cover 3, Allstat, Friends at Covert, B-Cave, and uh, Pest Wranglers and Audiovisual Consultations. To finish that off, thank you to everybody. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Texas Sports Unfiltered, we'll get at BK, me, or anybody else who is a part of the team. We'll be happy to have that conversation and perhaps hook you up, see how it can benefit all of us at the same time. Any uh, great observations from the weekend, Jeff, in the sports world or otherwise? I've got a couple of things that I wrote down that we can maybe get into. I lived a pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good weekend. I'm trying to come up with a good word for just like chill, chill life this weekend. I didn't have any good, uh, you know, usually I'm good for a random slice of life, like, grocery store story or something else story <laughs> pretty pretty low pretty low-key weekend for me i mean went to work got off pretty early sunday it was good to actually 
nice to get off a little early on Sunday. So, uh, Hey, shout out. Thanks, Bob. If you're listening for that, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but got to actually like watch the chiefs game at a friend's house and then come or sorry, watch the, uh, lions bucks game at a friend's house and they're actually bucks fans. So that was, that was fun to, uh, kind of live and die with them on that. And then got to, uh, hang out and come back to the house, watch the, watch the other game there, have a couple of adult beverages and just chill. So. My family watches a fair amount of football together. My wife, Justine, my two kids. Last night's Chiefs-Bills game, maybe the most fun we've ever had watching a football game, though, because of, and I hate to admit this, but because of the Taylor Swift effect. And every <laughs> time Travis Kelsey did something, the Chiefs still did something, it's like, oh, we're going to get the Taylor Swift cam? We're going to get the Taylor Swift cam? And, of course, my wife and daughter, not to be too stereotypical, we're all about the Taylor Swift fan, whereas my son and me were, like, uh, poo-pooing it and booing it and uh, looking for more uh, hardcore football on the screen. But Yeah, you and you and Calvin were, were looking for more uh, uh, Jason Kelsey drinking a beer shirtless. We definitely got a kick out of Jason Kelsey. My my son is really starting to understand football to where if I'm like doing something in the kitchen, washing dishes or getting dinner ready or something, he's like, oh, this happened. I'll be like, what exactly happened? He'll tell me if it's a penalty. He'll be like, he'll say it before the an announcement is made. Oh, I think this, I think a guy was offside or I think a guy held or pass interference. And he gets it right a lot of the time. And when he's, when I'm asking him what happened, if there was like a big run or pass or something, like he tells me, so-and-so ran the ball or this quarterback threw it to this wide receiver and he gained a first down. So it's something that you have to look forward to perhaps in the future. Or maybe your, maybe your, uh, your stepson will, won't care as much about football, but uh, that, that's become a great bonding point for us is getting to hang out on Saturdays and Sundays and cuddle up on the couch and watch football. He asks questions. I provide the answers that I can. And uh, now he's really starting to come into his own as a football fan. It's probably He's seven right now. He's probably a year or two away uh, from uh, losing uh, losing his piggy bank, betting on Cowboys games and whatnot. <laughs> now, do you ever do you ever hit him with the classic move, classic dad move? Or the I mean, all my parents did this. My, my stepdad did it. My dad did it. My mom even messed with me a little bit. But when you're watching the game and he's ever like, and it's a little different now than when we were kids because you can just pause the game. But he's like, oh, I'm gonna like run to the bathroom or whatever. I'm gonna go do this real quick. And you pretend like something big happened. Like my parents would always do that to me. Like they would go. And if it was like the middle of a drive, I'd be like, I just, I got to pee. I can't hold anymore. And my dad would go, Oh my God. Like act like something insane happened. And I would like run in, like pulling my pants up. And he'd be like, Oh, it's a four yard gain for the Raiders. Justin Fargus in at running back. Incomplete pass. <laughs> second and 10. Uh, we haven't done a ton of that. Cause we're pretty religious game pausers whenever someone needs to go to the bathroom or something we have we watch almost everything on youtube tv great service by the way highly recommended that's what we have too but as soon that popped in my head as soon as i as soon as i mentioned that i was like yeah things have changed since like 2004 when my parents were doing that and like it it was like mainly more basketball because it's just so continuous yeah you'd be like i don't know if i want to wait for the next commercial break no, you're right about that. But I feel like I can get away with it because sometimes I'm like, do you want me to pause the game? He's like, no, you can keep the game going. And we're actually to a point now where we will start games late because we can just blow through commercial breaks. Like we were at dinner last night. And so we didn't start watching the Kansas City Buffalo game until 
about seven o'clock. So at that point, the game is near halftime. So we we probably watched the first half into halfway through the third quarter in a matter of like 30 minutes, which was a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. But there is that occasion where I'm like, hey, you're going to the bathroom. You want me to pause it? And he says, no, I'm going to pull that on him now. Thank you for that idea. We love messing with one another. So I'm about to mess with them. Yeah, it's a good it's a good uh, wholesome, wholesome trick to pull. I I also we're on the we're on the same page today because I do the same thing with starting a game late or like I'm I mean it's I don't even know if I want to admit like how much golf I watch <laughs> so I'll I'll like even I want to watch like what happened in the golf tournament yesterday an amateur Nick Dunlap who's a sophomore at Alabama won the American Express with like Justin Thomas and Xander Shoffley like actually a decent amount of top names in the field first amateur to win a PGA tour event since Phil Mickelson in 1991. Um, so I want to go back and just watch like the last like couple holes of that, but I obviously don't want like the wind whipping through and they're like picking the club and I'm like, it's Monday. Like I don't need that. Um, but if I was able to watch it live too, I, I would love to like start it late and then skip through and be like, Oh, I don't care about these guys. And I do the same thing with football, but funny story with that is, Cowboys game a couple of weeks ago. Sorry to make people, you know, relive that. But my wife, Jasmine, is she's from the Dallas area, Cowboys fan. Her her dad's a diehard Cowboys fan. So we weren't watching the game with him that day, but it, there would have been some some serious frustration shown if we did. Was but I was the at the gym. Game? What's that? Is this the playoff game? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I got off work and I was at the gym at about I was finishing my workout at about like 320. And I had to go, like, I, like, do sauna, a couple of things, whatever. I wasn't going to be home till about 3.45. So I call her, and I'm like, hey, can you just pause it right before the game starts so that we can watch with, like, no commercials? <laughs> she was straight up like, no. <laughs> I was like, what? She's like, and I kind of understood when I put myself in her shoes. Like, it's her team. And yeah. she was like, I just kind of want to watch. Like, I'll just fill you in on what happened. And I was like. All right. If it was any other team, she would have done it. But I, I just like I called like full confidence she was going to say yes to this request. And Sounds like you married a strong-willed woman. Congratulations. I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> again, to be fair, Raiders game, even Bills Chiefs. I did it last night with Bills Chiefs because I had to go like take the trash out when we got back and like yeah. do a couple chores and all that. She had no issue with it, but just the Cowboys was was a reason she had an issue with it. Okay, tell me if this happens to you also, because we were playing catch-up on the Chiefs-Bills game last night, and I guess we go through Apple TV. I think this is an Apple TV bit and not a YouTube TV bit. There's an alert that pops up on the top right of the TV screen that says, oh, Bills-Chiefs is at 17-13 right now. Do you want to tune into that game live? And I'm like, no, motherfuckers. I'm watching the game in tape delay for a reason. And I certainly didn't want you to spoil it for me because at that point it was 10 to seven, I believe. So I'm like, or 10 to six. So I'm like, okay, the chiefs and the bills are both about to score a touchdown here. And that's ultimately what happened before halftime. I believe Uh, there's probably a setting that I can go into to turn those alerts off. But the fact that I didn't turn the alert on to begin with, and I now have to go figure out through this technology, how to keep that from happening again it's just really an obnoxious first world problem, you know? Yeah, that is definitely a first world problem, but definitely frustrating. And it's one of those things where you're like, it's it 
when too much, it's almost too much technology, like yeah. bordering on that a little bit. Like, okay, I love that we can stop and start this and unlimited DVR space on the cloud. Love a lot of these features, but yeah, I don't like the, you're defeating the purpose of said start stop privileges that I'm paying for by just over, over informing me of things. But no, that, that doesn't happen to us, but we did, we did run into uh last night. She got on FaceTime with the family and it did get spoiled for me a little bit because they were talking about the game. And I was like, oh, or like, I can't remember what point it was. It was early. So I didn't really care, but the chiefs were chiefs were driving and she was like, oh yeah, the bills are winning. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe not. And then her brother was watching. He was like, no, the chiefs are winning. And I'm like, okay, so the chiefs are going to score a touchdown here. <laughs> Inevitably it happens and nobody's doing it well some people do it intentionally but most of the time people don't do it intentionally one of my kids did that to me during a texas game this year where i think we were coming back from soccer games or something i'm like all right nobody say anything i'm about to go back and watch the texas game and it was they were probably in the midway through the third quarter or something when i was starting the game and they come through the door oh my gosh i can't believe texas is blowing the lead I'm like, are you messing with me right now? Like, did you really not hear me ask you not to say anything if you happen to hear about the game? And, and Justine's like, I told you not to say anything to him. And they're like, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm like, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. I've got to watch these games anyhow. But I like, you know, sports are enjoyable for the air of suspense. If I knew the final outcome of a game before watching it, I'm not going to be watching it as closely. I already know what happens. Yeah, like, that you know, like the, the whole spoiler alert bit, I guess, but in sports. That's hilarious. That reminds me of you remember when like TiVo was a big thing? Like you would get a oh, TiVo yeah. for your cable box, I guess. Mm-hmm. So my mom and stepdad, uh, just like my dad, I mean, both sides, huge USC fans. And this was back in the day when like TiVo was had just come out. So they, my mom and stepdad, pay to get the TiVo. Um, my, my, my brother's a really good athlete. So he's playing all kinds of baseball on Saturdays and that, and that kind of stuff. And they would DVR the games like TiVo, the games, but then they didn't want anybody to tell them what was happening, which actually was, was, I know it sounds, it sounds ridiculous now, but it was way more feasible back then than you think, because not everyone was on a cell phone and people weren't on Twitter score apps and all those things. I mean, nowadays it's, like if you're with your family and you have that kind of insulation from the outside world, like that's one thing, but yeah, if you're like at a bar or something, it's like, yeah, you you can't, that's, that's kind of hard to pull off, but they would, Oh my gosh. Like if I even, and that's one thing I would mess with them back when they would get me on the, Oh, like when I walked away, I would get them on, Oh my God, Arizona state's up, jumped out to a 21, nothing lead. Like, I hope we can come back. (laughs) I had no idea like what actually happened in the game. But like a lot of times I would have been at home, like watching the game. If I didn't want to go to my you know great bro- big brother here, if I didn't want to like go to that baseball game again, like, and this guy played a million baseball games. So, yeah. Isn't, um, it, imperative, isn't it imperative for families to mess with one another? So yes. That oh, for sure. Especially grow thicker skin. But there were times. Yeah, for sure. And our family was great about that. Just like, sounds like yours is, yeah. but it was like I, there were times where if I watched the game before them and they came back, I would have to go in the other room and like play video games or something to stay away from them because I would just be wearing it on like like a shit eating grin on my face. Like, wait till you MF or see what Reggie Bush did today. You know, 
Otherwise, I would have totally ruined it for him. I've got a terrible poker face, too. Even as an adult, I don't have a good poker face. So, yeah, I, I feel you there. So you were at the gym on Saturday or uh, Saturday or Sunday. You were at the gym on Sunday. Oh, for the Cowboys game. The Cowboys weeks. game. For the Cowboys game a couple weeks ago, you were at the gym. Uh, you and I both try and get to the gym regularly. And I can't help but to notice just the lack of courtesy that exists with certain people in the gym setting at times, like in the, on the actual workout floor for sure, but also in the locker room too. Like why do people have loud conversations on the phone in the locker room? There was a guy and this was, this was this weekend. This was a Saturday, I believe. I mean, he was speaking in almost a screaming tone because you know the uh, the spinning machine that helps to dry bathing suits if somebody's just gone to the pool oh, or, yeah. the or something. It's pretty loud. And this guy was on the phone initially, I guess. Well, that thing goes off and he starts speaking louder. Well, the thing stops and he's still speaking at that volume. And we're in like the kind of the corner area of the locker room where it's almost like its own little isolated room. So him speaking at the top of his non-screaming voice, I guess, is really freaking loud and it's amplified where we are to the point that I turned around. I thought I said, I thought I was going to say something and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to smack my, um, my flip flops as loud as humanly possible and see how it reacts. I mean, I smack these things together like four times. They make really loud claps each time. He like looks back at me all startled and then just keeps speaking in that voice. And I'm making eye contact with him the entire time too. I'm like, I shouldn't have been passive aggressive there. I just needed to say, Hey, please lower your voice. We're in a freaking locker room. This isn't an unwritten rule here, by the way, it says outside and in the locker room, please keep cell phone conversations to a minimum. You're not abiding by that. So if somebody wants to call you out for that shit, they're well within the right to do so. So same issue at our gym, which will re- re- remain nameless. Otherwise, we are with act- the actual administration, you know, of the gym, the way it's run, we're we're quite happy with. But same issue in the sauna, though. Yep. In the I've sauna, I'm like, I actually, I don't love it in the locker room either. But a lot of times, honestly, like I've got AirPods in and I don't even really hear it because I'm coming in off there. But yeah, when I don't have AirPods in, I'm just like, do you need to have this conversation in here? Like if it's something really quick, like, like, Hey honey, look, everything. Okay. Look, and I'm fine with that. But yeah, like a full blown, like you're in the middle of a conversation, like we're, we're having right now, like take that outside, take that like somewhere else. I don't know. But in the sauna, it drives me crazy because that's supposed to be a place. And I'm going to sound like a, maybe a maniac a little bit. Like that's supposed to be a place of peace. Like I finish my workout. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Right. I finish my workout. I go in the sauna and I know some people will be like, how can you be at peace when you're sweating profusely? But that's the whole thing is to like sweat it out. Like get it out. Like, like I had too many beers this weekend, sweat out all my beers. Like, you know, wh- whatever you're in there for, it's supposed to be a moment where you're just working on your breathing, working on your stretching, like whatever. And people will be in there just absolutely yelling at each other like i don't know if they just talk loud or whatever it is and i'm somebody that talks loud too but i try to be courteous of it when i'm not in you know when i'm outside of settings like i'm at work or i'm on a show with you here working or something like that even conversations with other people in the sauna need to be kept to a minimum like at least as the rules are written out on the wall next to the sauna at my gym 
but people will have loud conversations with one another. If you're having a one-sided conversation with your cell phone in the sauna, sauna, you suck as a human being. <laughs> you really do. I'm sorry. Like I'm sure you're great in other areas of life. In that area, you completely suck. And you're showing a total lack of courtesy to others. And it's just a lack of awareness, too. It's a lack of awareness. That is an area of solitude, in a sense. And you are disrupting other people's solitude because you can't keep your mouth shut for a few minutes. Yes. Or if you really need to make that phone call, stepping out of the sauna and having that phone call. And then going back in there. The whole the sauna is the place that you go in to relax. Like obviously there's there's music, there's TVs, because the place we go, they'll play, you know, just light, generic music, like whatever it may be, like rock one day, like like a uh, clean, like workout hip hop the next day. Like they they mix it up a little bit. And then there's TVs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, this isn't a Planet Fitness that we go to, but I used to go to Planet Fitness and they have the whole like Planet Fitness playlist on there. So yeah, it's it's a place where you're like supposed to be peaceful. You're going in there to get away from that, finish the workout, whatever. So yeah, I, lack, lack of lack of decency just everywhere. And unfortunately always has been, which, which actually leads me to uh, an exciting point. Speaking of lack of decency and slice of life, 13 days till curb returns, Trey. Hell yeah, buddy. Which is basically what Larry David has made a living off of is being funny about the random shit that happens to him and the ridiculous shit that happens to him in his life. Yeah, and trumping up how he could have handled situations versus him just making an observation about how completely ridiculous people are being in day-to-day life. We've uh, mm-hmm. become, BK and I have become friendly with Jeff Schaefer, who is Larry's writing partner. He directs a bunch of Curb episodes, and he talked about it with us several years ago where it's like most of the stuff Larry doesn't actually do in real life, but we all encounter those situations where it's like, man, if we had handled it like this, then it could have been completely different. And sometimes I'm guessing they do actually get into those altercations. I actually get into the altercations. I don't know if that's influenced by Curb or what, but I've you grow t- sick and tired of uh, somebody's behavior enough that you feel the need to say something because everybody else is bothered by it, but everybody else is also afraid of conflict. I'm not afraid of conflict because and I have yeah. the ability to keep it from escalating to something that gets really ridiculous most of the time. Some of the time that doesn't end up happening, but I'm looking forward to this final episode of Curb. The last few seasons, in my opinion, have been a little bit uneven, but I feel like they're going to finish strong and they're going to stick to the landing when it's all said and done. Yeah, and I mean, that's the great part about Curb is there's no, like I'm pretty sure it's, it's just been a running contract with with HBO. Like, and I, I I may be wrong on that. You probably know more about it than I do, but I think that's why I remember reading is that it's basically yeah. just whenever Larry wants to do another one, they do another one. Whenever yeah, Larry wants to, have be, to done. be their final season, but he's like, you know what? This is it. It's time time to be done with this. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's probably a good probably a good spot, you know, to end it just because, um, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's been a great run. This is going to be what season eleven. It's hard to sustain that that kind of success, comedic success at that too over that long a period of time, which, which is impressive too, because when you go back and watch like the first episodes, the first season, like the pants tent and those kind of things, it's, it's unbelievable how, how well some of it has just held up. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, still, there's, there's a little bit of season one and two of Seinfeld where you can like the lighting and the cameras being used are a tiny bit dated, but the content itself, it's like, oh yeah, you, you, you knew what you wanted to do here and it just needed to be refined a little bit. But like for Curb, you're right. Curb, Curb was better in the beginning than Seinfeld was, but it really only took both shows two to three seasons to become epic television. Yeah. And a lot of people prefer Seinfeld to Curb. I like Curb a little bit more myself because it works bluer. And so it allows Larry to uh, to go places where Seinfeld had to be a little bit more careful. Although you can do that really well too, as the contest showed us so many years ago on Seinfeld. But yeah, Larry, Larry's ability to poke holes in a lot of uh, societal tropes has been so much fun over the years, as well as him making everybody ridiculously uncomfortable with how he handles social situations. My wife refuses to watch that show. She's like, it makes me, it just makes me anxious watching him out and about because I know something terrible is going to happen and he's going to be a complete asshole about it. I'm like, sometimes he's the asshole. Sometimes he's trying to be the superhero when somebody else is being the asshole and nobody else is going to speak up about it. She's like, yeah, you would say that because you're the same person. <laughs> and, you, and you have to go, yeah, you should take that as a compliment. I and, do. And, and you have to fight uh, or a backhanded compliment at best. See, I've just I've just had people say, like, yeah, you're you're like Larry David, just not funny. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, that's a kick in the nuts. Larry David so, in real life isn't funny either. It's just, uh, it's sad a lot of times. Or I know, and I'm like, so basically you're saying I'm just fucking cranky. <laughs> Which is true at times. Yeah, that can be true. By the way, back to the uh, gym conversation for a sec. Double D said at the gym yesterday, there was a lady on her phone letting her toddler crawl around on machines. Our gym does not let kids under the age of, I think, 12 be in the workout area and if you're under 16 i think you need to be accompanied by an adult that is not only awful it is dangerous for that kid to be yes. around on workout machines yeah ours is a ours is a uh they have a daycare i mean it has specific hours but too. and that's why we like it so much is because like i mean we might go we might go after the show tonight we can take jace with us he can go play there's always a couple kids in there that are his age inevitably or even if there's not like they can run around. They've got an indoor outdoor outdoor yeah. spot. So yeah, it's good. Uh, good, good family vibes too. I go to lifetime fitness. I love lifetime by the way. Any, any negative things that I say aren't going to have to do with lifetime. It's just individuals at the gym and it's any gym setting lifetime. Yeah. Or not. What gym do y'all go to? So we go to the huddle. We go to the huddle YMCA. Oh, nice. And that's why I was same reason as you. That's why I was hesitant to, I didn't want whatever I said about individuals frustrating me to reflect on how pleased we are with uh, the value we're getting out of the gym. That's great. <laughs> and the other, the community stuff too, they have the YMCA also of just like the, you know, I mean the daycare, but then also like the sports and the after school activities and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Hutto has a good Y. Uh, the, the Twin Lakes YMCA that's near us is really good too. We sent our kids to summer camp there day camp, I guess this last summer. And they had a lot of fun. So I do wonder about keeping kids outside in the hundred degree heat for uh, as long as seemed to happen, but kids are resilient, I guess we'll deal with it more than we are in a lot of ways, oh, more than we are in a lot of ways for sure. So my wife went to Virginia this last weekend. She surprised her sister. Her sister had a birthday the previous weekend, but she went to survive her sister 
or to went to survive. She went to surprise the sister. I was, I was not, like, whoa, that got heavy. Not a Freudian slip here. Went to surprise her sister, and her sister and her have a history of doing this to one another, surprising on birthdays, random weekends. Well, she goes and does that, but she comes back yesterday, and there's this sense of her feeling a little bit underwhelmed because they didn't do a whole lot. Like they got to go out on Saturday night and grab a nice dinner and they want a really good walk and had a good talk too. But she's like, I felt like I was intruding. And so my comment to her is like, look, I know your sister loves you and was happy to have you there, but you do also have to think about it like this. If you were surprising somebody and staying with them for the weekend, you are injecting yourself into that person's life for their weekend. You have no idea what they have planned for the weekend or whether they just want to hang out and not do a whole lot, you're taking a pretty big roll of the dice by going and surprising them with the assumption that all of a sudden things are going to be much more catered to you and your ability to hang out with that person. Yeah, I I have told all the people in my life, do not throw me a surprise party. Like, you're in that category, okay. I am in that category. I'm just, I'm also just way too much of a busybody. Yeah. And with, with birthdays specifically, I just don't like, I don't just don't think they're that big of a deal. I, I know I sound again, I'm, I sound like, sound like Larry right now. Like I sound like a cranky curmudgeon, but I, and I'm fine with how other people do their birthdays, especially when it's a significant like milestone birthday, like Jasmine's sister uh, in like a t- couple months, like right after the basketball season, they're doing something in Dallas. She's turning 30. Like I turned, I'm 31 now. So like the last birthday wasn't that important for 30. Like we did get a lot of the people together in my life that I appreciate. And we did like some day drinking and stuff like that. So for that, I get it. But the people that expect you to just go all out for every birthday. And like, I just, I don't get it. Like I've never, I've never been there. I'm not trying to act like Mr. Like selfless, like, don't worry about me, but it just the birthday is just, it's just not, not that big of a deal. You know, like give me a present. Don't give me a present. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't like feeling like, like if somebody gets me a really nice present, all it does is make me feel like, like, well, shit, now I got to return the favor the next time. Like There's when pressure. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. like, now you've set an expectation for how you want to be treated on your birthday. And that, and I don't know that I want to treat you like that on your birthday. Kevin Dunn put it great several years ago. Treat me decent the other 364 days out of the year, and we'll call it even. Yeah. Get my birthday. Treat me decent the other 364 days. Right. And if you want to give me a call, surprise me with a you know nice conversation that we're a lot of us are too busy to have the rest of the time, or you know, I mean, shoot, I'm like, like write me a note. Like we're adults, we got jobs. Like I'd rather have you write me a note, like how much you appreciate me, or you know something like that, and. That's what Jasmine and I, as our relationship has has grown, we've focused more on those kind of things, or maybe just go out to dinner, like spend quality time, that kind of stuff. That's why I said I I didn't want my friends when I turned thirty to get to spend a bunch of money or get me a big gift or anything. We just did we did a brunch on a Saturday. I took a Saturday off, and then I was just like, I just want to go out and get hammered with my friends, that <laughs> and and like have everybody else take care of whatever my responsibilities would be for that day. And then the next day I'll get back to my responsibilities in my life. Like I that's all I wanted for my birthday. Who will text me on my birthday and they all, I don't know why they always text with the exception of one or two. And so I'll call them back and we'll just play catch up for a few minutes. Yeah. 
Like I, I value it for that reason. Like you're, you're nice enough. And unfortunately I've down talked my own birthday to the degree that I've had people tell me that they're afraid to wish me a happy birthday. I'm like, God damn it. I've caused it to swing too far. And it's that pendulum thing, right? The pendulum yeah. swung too far in the other direction. Now I'm like, look, I appreciate the thought. I just, my birthday is not that big of a deal. Anybody that thinks that I got married on my birthday for, uh, for any sort of narcissistic or arrogant reasons. No, no, no. It was really because I wanted another reason to celebrate that day. Cause I care so little about my birthday. It just happened to time out. It was a Saturday. It was early enough in the year that we could escape the Chicago winter. And it turned out to be a lot of fun. But like, if you were going to take the time to wish me a happy birthday, like, thank you. I appreciate that. I know you don't have to do that. You care enough or you want to torment me enough to wish me a happy birthday as one of my kids hands me a note through the door. I'm going to Mrs. Heidi's. Okay. Thank you for letting me know. Uh, but uh, the, the, the clutch thing, I've, I've downplayed it so much over time that people are afraid to wish me a happy birthday now. And so I've clearly screwed up somewhere. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way, Trey. And whenever, you know, we got married in mid December this year, my birthday is December 5th. Hmm. I actually had a friend bring up like in some, in some facet, they brought up all that would be going on moving forward, given that now our wedding anniversary is going to be in mid December. They were like, did you not think about like, like that? I mean, November, December, like going to be crazy. It's like, like, uh, well, basically they just brought up like December. They were like your birthday, the fifth, the 14th, your wedding anniversary, Christmas, the 25th. It's like, they're like, that's a lot. I legitimately looked at them and I was like, that never even once crossed my mind. Definitely the birthday part of it. When they did bring up like, cause they, I'm like, you know, we obviously have a five-year-old and the anniversary being right before that. And then new year's and all that kind of stuff. Everything else made me realize like, Oh yeah, that is kind of like a lot of shit. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to be really busy in December, but I just thought of it as like, Hey, it just means December is going to be awesome every year. Like even yeah. better than it already would be with Christmas and all that. I'm going to celebrate wedding anniversary. Now we're going to have Christmas. Now we're going to have new year's and Texas is going to play in the college football playoff every single year moving forward after that. No, I'm <laughs> Kick it off with Thanksgiving too. That's a hell of a six week stretch there. Dude, this December was, I mean, it was, it was a, uh, I can't even think of off the top of my head, like best month of my life. Cause it was wedding and obviously birthday, but you know, more importantly, it was wedding Christmas, um, New Year's Eve in New Orleans for that Texas at the Sugar Bowl, which Jasmine could have only been made better Orleans, by. I remember, Jasmine came to New Orleans, right? Yeah, yeah, she wasn't there for New Year's Eve just because she had other stuff she had to get back for, you know, parenting, all those kind of things. But <laughs> uh, we had we had a good time while she was there. She was there three days, and it was it was a blast. Yeah, that's a hell of a time for you guys. Yeah, it was like a like a half honeymoon, even though I was working. But the real honeymoon is in a couple months. It'll be this summer. Summer. Yeah, we're about to finalize plans. And you freaked me out about the passport last week. Oh, yeah. Welcome to my living hell of trying to get this passport expedited. So the picture I showed you on Friday is right up on it here. But my wife is like, you have too big of a smile on this picture. This is too big of a smile right here. 
that may get denied. Like, how dare I look something other than 100% neutral? I've got a little smirk on my face. Shit-eating grin, as some might call it. Government's going to think you're a narc, Trey. I know. Oh, you're overcompensating. traveling internationally. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go get another picture taken. And I'm actually going to go do that right now as our show is coming to an end. Uh, great conversation as always, Jeff. We'll talk to you on Friday. Yes, sir. Thank you to Jeff and everybody else here at Texas Sports Unfiltered for doing such a great job today and to you for watching and listening, of course. If you are on YouTube right now and have not already subscribed to the Texas Sports Unfiltered channel, please do so. Also download our free app through the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. We will be back tomorrow starting at 8 a.m. with Bucky and BK. In the meantime, have yourselves a great Monday night and hook them.